0: good things do come out of Baltimore, Maryland, let the church say, amen. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, uh, Maya sent me her CD at the end of last year, um, a promotional, you know, sending it out to various pastors. And, and as I listened to it, I was like, wow, this is a very good project. Um, the production was good but the words were better and uh, because I'm I'm a word person, I listen to the words and to see that uh, you wrote those songs, um, praise God for the gift that is in you. And uh, her father and I are friends. Her father pastors Messiah Community Church in Owings Mills, Maryland, uh, not far from where my family lives. And um, before he started pastoring, he served as the chaplain for the Baltimore Ravens for a number of years. And we met through a mutual friend named Reggie Pleasant who was the chaplain here with the Tennessee Titans. So when the Ravens would come to town, uh, uh, Rod would call Reggie and say, hey Reggie, um, do you have a speaker who could speak to the Ravens? And so that's how I met Rod. And I remember one of the first times I spoke for the Ravens, I probably shouldn't tell this story but this was when uh, Ray Lewis had just beat the murder charge and, uh, and I got on an elevator and lo and behold, Ray Lewis was right there with me and, uh, and I was a little nervous. I was a little nervous because Ray is a little, you know, he's a little, and uh, he's a good brother, good brother, but, but I kept, you know, I, I kept watching him just to make sure, you know. But, um, but uh, Rod is an excellent leader, expositor of the word of God. And it's an honor for me to have his daughter come and share uh, through songs. So let's give God praise one more time for this man. Turning your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter nine. And if you're in town this week, a lot of people are still on spring break. Um, We get back together for our Wednesday night impact this week at six o'clock. Where we gather together for a meal and then this week we'll break up into huddle groups. So bring your children, come on out, bring some food, and let's continue to grow as brothers and sisters in the Lord through table fellowship. Six o'clock Wednesday, so come on out. And if you don't have a small group, we'll be glad to put you in one. Matthew chapter nine, beginning at verse nine. The Bible reads, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So in our I'd rather be series this morning. Let me speak on the subject of, I'd rather be sick than well. Don't, lo- don't loo- lose me now, don't leave me. I'd rather be sick than well. Because to be sick is an admission of a need for healing and of a need for grace. And as Paul would remind us in Second Corinthians that he would rather be weak than to try to walk around in his own strength. Because as it pertains to his strength, he had none. But the Lord's strength is made perfect in weak individuals who acknowledge their weakness. Whether you're in college and you're struggling during midterms and you're trying to figure out, Lord, what is going on? God will give you a song in the night to sustain your soul because he loves it when we can admit our need for him, whether we are weak or even when we are sick. So I'd rather be sick than well. Or in other words, I'd rather be a sinner than a Pharisee. Let's pray and ask for help. Lord, be our teacher today. It amazes me that you include us yet alone use us, but thank you for the Holy Spirit who makes the difference. Whether we sing, whether we preach, whether we usher, whether we teach children, whatever it is, we need your spirit because we can't do this and we should not try to do this in our own strength. But not only the preaching of the word, but also Lord, the hearing and the receiving of the word. We need you, Jesus, to teach us the word. And then we all need you, Jesus, to give us strength to live the word. May this not be a word that falls on shallow ground where the enemy comes and steals it immediately. But Lord, may it go down deep into good soil. Thank you that during worship today, we could allow you to fertilize our hearts and get us ready for the seed of the word. Thank you that we could get into your presence and be reminded that you are able. You're able to heal. You're able to save. You're able to forgive. You're able to reconcile. You're able to provide. You're able to do everything but fail. And we thank you because there is no God like you. And we bless you now. We thank you for these stories in the word that were written for our edification. Teach us, Lord. Bring the application into our hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. The last thing I want to be is a Pharisee. So therefore, the first thing I need to do is repent. I need to repent because unfortunately, I have that DNA living inside of me. The strand of self-righteousness still lives within me, even though I'm a new creation, even though I'm born again. I'm a new man that's trapped in an old flesh Resident within the flesh is this propensity to be self reliant, to be self righteous, to try to act like I'm better than what I am, to be prideful and not humble. So when I see that germ rising to the top in my life, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, Chris, let's put that to death. Let's crucify that right now. Because I want to be right with Jesus. And the only way to walk with God is to walk in humility. So I want you to listen up today because you'll see a few um, things that will tell us or or character traits of what a Pharisee is and what a Pharisee does. And as we spend time in this series for weeks to come, so many things are going to jump out of these passages to teach us, Lord, help me not to do that. Help me not to be like that. Lord, I repent of that. Because Jesus had most of his confrontational conversations with Pharisees. And his harshest words of rebuke were reserved for them. And as we'll see today, that Jesus came to seek and save sinners. And he could have saved a whole lot of Pharisees had they acknowledged that they were sick. And that they were sinful. So we'll begin in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, where it says, and as Jesus passed on from there. Well, in the earlier portions of chapter 9, Jesus is in someone's home, and he's teaching. And the Pharisees are sitting there front row. And there are some men who have a sick friend who's paralyzed. He cannot walk and he is lying upon a mat he cannot get up and help himself, but he has four friends who, when they couldn't get in through the door, decided to take their friend up to the roof and then make a way through the ceiling's tile. And so they interrupted the service by lowering their friend down to Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus looked at their faith and he said to the man, the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. The greatest thing that any of us can ever hear God say to us is your sins are forgiven. And as the Pharisees sat there, they began to reason within themselves saying, who does this man think he is that he can forgive sins? So Jesus being omniscient, knowing their thoughts says, well, what's easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to rise up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, get up and walk. And the paralyzed man got up at that moment. Now what's interesting about that story is that when they lowered the man down to Jesus, the assumption would be that his greatest need was physical. That he needed to walk, that that was the greatest need But Jesus said, no, the greatest need is not physical, the greatest need is spiritual. Because what good is it if I heal your body but your soul is not right with God? And there are many people who would rather have a blessing and a miracle than to have a relationship with God, which is really the greatest miracle of all that God would forgive sinners and make us right with him through the sacrificial death and resurrection of his son Jesus. So Jesus gave that man what he needed most. And when he said your sins are forgiven, the man didn't complain. The man didn't say, well, what about my legs? He was like, thank you. Because when you can hear your sins are forgiven, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. That's the greatest thing you can hear God say to you. Because what that says is I love you. Your sins are forgiven. That's the good news. And they'll never be brought up against you again. But the Pharisees were like, who does he think he is? And so Jesus healed the man's body just to show that he had already healed the man's spirit. So as he passed on from there, and I bet you word went around town, went around Capernaum, went around Galilee about Jesus healing this paralytic, about Jesus teaching and preaching and touching lepers and healing and forgiving sinners. The Bible says as he passed on from there, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Matthew, who is the writer of this gospel, he's telling his story because by the time we get to what we call chapter nine, because back in the day they didn't have chapter divisions, he's going to insert his testimony of when and how he met Jesus. And before I go any further, I wonder, do you have a testimony of how and when you met Jesus? Now, I'm glad your grandmother prayed for you, but we're not talking about her right now. We're talking about you. Do you have your own testimony of when and how you met Jesus? And not only that, can you articulate it Can you write it down? Can you verbalize it? Because if you ever meet anyone famous, you're gonna always remember that encounter. Oh, let me tell you when I met Michael Jordan. Oh, let me tell you when I met Michael Jackson. Oh, let me tell you when I met Mike Tyson. No, I don't wanna tell you about that, but let me tell you when I met these famous people. And so when someone has met Jesus and he changed their lives and he's in the process of still changing one's life, you can testify And you should testify. And as Matthew shares his testimony, he's really going to be very humble in Matthew's account. But that's why we need Mark and Luke to kind of fill in some places that Matthew, as he's writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, he just said, you know what, I'm going to tone some things down. But here's something special. Matthew here, his name means gift of Yahweh. Gift of Yahweh. Of Yahweh. But that was not his birth name. Because according to Mark chapter 2, verse 14, Matthew is truly Levi, the son of Alphaeus. So that's his name, Levi, the son of Alphaeus. But when Jesus meets people, he has a way of not only changing your destiny, but sometimes he'll change your name. You know, when he met Simon. He looked at him and said, No, you're no longer gonna be called Simon, but from here on you're gonna be called Cephas or Petros, Peter, because he was speaking destiny that he would be a strong man of God, rock. And with him and the other apostles, Jesus would build his church. And so he spoke destiny when he saw Simon, which some commentators say his name meant fragment, but now it's gonna be rock or stone, strong. And Jesus will change your name from guilty to forgiven, from condemned to justified. He'll change your name from cursed to blessed, from slave to son and to daughter. He'll change your name when he changes your destiny. And so there's a strong chance that when Jesus met Levi, he said, I'm going to change your name to gift of Yahweh, gift of the Lord, because I want you to know how special you are to God. Because we're gonna see that he had a a living, he made a living doing something that was not esteemed in his day. But God wanted to let him know that where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And although you may not have thought you had anything to offer to society, and above all to God, I want you to know that you're no longer Levi, you're Matthew. You're a gift of God. And this Matthew, he's sitting at the tax office, so this lets us know that he is a tax collector. Not everybody enjoys spending time with the tax man. I believe we're coming up on uh, April 15th, is coming, and we're getting our taxes together, and that can be such a horrible time, but in Israel, the tax collectors, they operate it year-round at any time. And as we learned last week, tax collectors were the lowest rung of society. They were down with the class of pigs for Jewish people. They were unclean. They were considered to be traitors and thieves. Won't go into all that this week, but they were not um, liked people in the community. They were despised. And we see Matthew is sitting at the tax office, and according to Mark and Luke, Again, this is in Galilee. He's by the sea. And so as he's by the sea, he has a portable tax office. And he sets his office down by the Sea of Galilee so that he may tax the boats that go into the Sea of Galilee to catch fish so that he can then tax what was caught that day. And so that's the kind of liberality that these men had because you couldn't go against them and oppose them because they worked for the Roman government. And so they would tax everything. So he's sitting at the tax office just waiting to tax folks. And the Bible says that Jesus walks up to him and he said to him, follow me. I love this. A man who is despised, rejected, an outcast of society, Jesus walks up to him and says, I want you on my team. Somebody better be glad today that God chooses scrubs, that God chooses sinners, broken people, broken, busted, and disgusted folk because he likes to get glory when our lives are transformed. He doesn't like to choose the all-stars, the people who think they got it all together. None of us have it all together. He chose Matthew because Matthew knew He needed to get it together, and the only way he could get it together was with the God who holds all things together. And so Jesus said, follow me, which means be my disciple. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest, Matthew, to your soul. Follow me. Be my disciple. Commit your life to me. And Matthew, who had been hearing about this Jesus, this Yeshua, How he loved sinners and outcasts and prostitutes and he forgave broken people. Matthew longed to have his sins forgiven because every day he's living under the weight and the guilt of his own sin. And the consequences of robbing people and feeling ashamed and and, and he knows I can't talk to the Pharisees about my sin. Even though they were the spiritual leaders of the day, Matthew knew he couldn't go to them because they rejected him. He was an outcast. He couldn't even come into the temple area. So how could this man find forgiveness? Well, the Lord had to come to him the way he comes to us. And Matthew was ready so that when Jesus said, follow me, he was ready in that moment when he heard the voice of the Lord. And he says, yes, I will follow you. Have you heard the voice of the Lord? And when he said to you, follow me, that you do what Matthew does, and according to Luke 5, 28, you leave everything and follow him. Because what he found at that moment was more precious than silver and gold. Because as he sat at the tax office, he had money. As a matter of fact, when he became a disciple, he was probably the wealthiest of all of the all of the disciples. So he had more to give up materially. But check this out. Sometimes when God calls you, he'll call you in such a way where you need to make a decisive break from the things of the world. The day he caught Peter was the day Peter and Andrew had the biggest catch in their whole lives. They went out and they were trying to fish. They caught nothing. Jesus said, throw it on the other side. They threw it on the other side. The nets went over and so much fish jumped into the boat that the boat started sinking. And Jesus said, come on and follow me. And the Bible says they left all of the fish, all of that money on the shore that day, and they followed Jesus. Because what they were gaining was so much more than what they were, quote, unquote, losing. And when Jesus gets a hold of a man or a woman, and they're trying to decide, do I love the world or do I love God who loves me? Well, don't love the world, neither the things in the world. What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What good is money when your sins aren't forgiven? Matthew needed to hear, your sins are forgiven. Follow me. You'll find purpose in life. And sometimes I'll give the money back to you. Sometimes I'll call you back to go and fish. Sometimes I'll call you back into legal practices. But lay it down. And then I'll tell you whether or not you can pick it back up again. But I promise you, when you pick it back up, you'll pick it back up with the right motivation. So he said, follow me. Man, one of the greatest things, like I said earlier, if not the greatest thing you hear is your sins are forgiven. Jesus said that to the paralytic. Matthew wanted and needed to hear that. Again, I don't know really what it feels like to walk around town and don't nobody like you. When they see you coming, they're like, oh, here he come. Take my money. But when he heard, your sins are forgiven. Oh, that's like somebody saying to you. I know that doesn't really register, but, but let me see if I can put it in contemporary terms. To hear your sins are forgiven is almost like hearing all of your debts are paid in full. Okay, let's keep making it more personal. Your mortgage. If somebody comes to you and says, I paid your mortgage off. You got one of them 30-year ones. And you just started year one. You're going to pay for that house three times over. I paid your mortgage off. You're not going to sit there and just. You're going to go off. You're going to shout. Because when debts get canceled, it's the year of Jubilee. Jubilee. And then they say, well, while well, I'm taking care of the house. Let me take care of the car. I'm a care- oh, y'all got a couple of car notes that you pay. I'm going to pay them all off for you. Oh, you got some medical bills, too? Give me them medical bills. I'm going to pay them all off. Oh, you got some legal bills, too, from lawyers. Give me all of your bills. I'm going to pay them. Oh, you got some school loans. <laughs> Fannie Mae ain't been too good to you, hey? Give me all your bills. And as of now, you are debt-free. All of a sudden, your hands will get happy and your feet will get light. You'll just start dancing and cartwheeling. So when the Lord says your sins are forgiven, the debt of disobedience to God, of being an abomination to God, having to suffer uh, His wrath Toward sin, when the Lord tells you, you are forgiven. It reminds me when I was in college. I was a struggling college student, and um, I didn't know how I was gonna make it through. And, I, a, a, and it increased my prayer life because I needed money, and, and like, Lord, you sent me here, and I need to know that you are Jehovah Jireh. Well, our group did a bunch of rapping in the community, people coming to Christ, the president of the school heard about. And he said, "Um, I see what you brothers are doing in the community, and this is what I want to do. I want to give all of y'all a full-ride scholarship from now until when you graduate. And even if you want to go on to grad school, I'll cover it. Oh, yeah, we went off up in there. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. (laughs) So when it was time for registration and I would get in line, And I would see all these other people struggling. Lord Lord bless them, help them. But I knew that when I got up to that lady or to that man and I had that debt in my hand, I knew what was going to happen. I was going to say that I'm under scholarship by the president of the university. And his initials were JF. And so the scholarship was J F -S 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 S. Jerry Falwell Scholarship, and they were stamping on my bill in red that it was paid in full, JFS in red. Man, I'd skip up out of there like, yeah, thank you, Jesus. But more than school, man, school has its place, but I got another JFS, and it's uh, stamped on my soul. Jesus forgives sins, and I'm forgiven. And see, when Jesus come in your life, I ain't going to finish this sermon. Uh, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll bless your credit score. Because you know what happens when we got bad credit, we don't have as much access. I can't get a house if my credit ain't right. I can't get a car if my credit not right. But if somebody can fix your credit up. Well, the Bible lets me know that I was bankrupt before God. I was in debt. I was broke. But God deposited, credited into my account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When I said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, Jesus, right then and there, I became a spiritual billionaire. And even when I write checks on it every day because I mess up every day, I have an account that never runs dry, that never runs out. Oh, the blood of Jesus, it'll never lose its power every day. He's rich in mercy. I got to write another check again. And he says, You keep on writing and I'll keep on covering. It's already paid for, Chris. So Matthew needed to hear it didn't matter who rejected him when he knew that God accepted him and that he was forgiven. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him. Now, Luke chapter 5, verse 29 says that Matthew held a party for Jesus in his own house. So again, he's humble, he ain't gonna talk about how his pad was laid out. 'cause you got to have a big pad if you're going to have a bunch of people up in there. Cuz Jesus whenever he come, he got 12 people rolling deep with him. They like to eat and all that stuff. And then Matthew invites all his friends. And all his friends happened to be other low-life sinners like he was. So his house was big enough to hold all these people for a party. And I look over here and I see my sister Shanara. We grew up in Baltimore together. And uh, uh, back in the day, we used to go to house parties. Oh, man, I'm getting in trouble with this illustration. But you know, sometimes the house parties, they would always be held in the basement with a red light on. The DJ was next to the washer and the dryer. And sometimes you couldn't get everybody in the house. But that didn't stop people from trying to still get up in there. Matthew's house was packed with sinners it was a party going on up in there and all he did was he went and told people about what jesus had done for him evangelism is simply that telling people who jesus is to you and what he's done for you but we make evangelism we focus so much on do you know how to give the plan of salvation Man, you may not know all the scriptures, but you can talk about the man of salvation. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's the best way to evangelize, where it's not simply a plan, but I'm talking about the man. And he told his friends, you got to come, just like the Samaritan woman when she got saved. You know, she had five husbands, and the dude she was living with and shacking with was not her husband. Jesus still gave her living water. She repented, and she accepted living water. She went into the city without being told to do evangelism. Matthew was not told to do evangelism. It's a natural overflow of the heart when God touches your heart to want to tell people. We get told to go tell people we don't want to tell anybody. But people in the Bible, they weren't told to go tell, but they go tell everybody. And that woman said, y'all need to come hear a man who told me everything I ever did. Honey, he only told you that you've been sleeping around. Well, that's all I ever did. Come hear a man. And they came and people will come to church when you invite them. I saw an article last week that says, people are just waiting to be invited to church. So if you don't know all the ins and outs, tell them your testimony and then invite them to church so they can hear and experience the love of Jesus. Many tax collectors and sinners came. The robbers came, the murderers were there, the prostitutes, the drunkards were there. And in our day, if we would throw a party like this and invite the low rung of society, that would be your felons, your illegal immigrants, your refugees, the homeless, the gangbangers, the drug dealers and the drug users, the pimps and the prostitutes. But hold on to your hat. If we truly invited sinners to come be in the presence of Jesus, we'd have some people from the LGBTQ community coming in too. Pastor, what you talking about? They need Jesus, don't they? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, queer, and then they keep adding letters every time I look up. (laughs) We'd invite our Muslim friends. But the problem, and we'd invite our racist friends, so we wouldn't have to go far because many of them are in our black and white families. Point is, how can I get some sinners to Jesus? One of the reasons I joined Leadership Nashville was because much of my life was spent hanging around with y'all, hanging around with Christians, everywhere I look. And thank God my whole family is saved Everybody in my family is saved. So man, man, much of my dealings are with Christians. So I said, man, this is getting boring. I need to be around more sinners. Yeah. I hope none of my leadership Nashville friends are listening to this sermon right now because they do listen to my sermons online. I joined that so I could be around some sinners. And boy, did God grant that request. <laughs> and it's good for me. Because I get to understand where people are coming from and hear their heart and know more about their world, because it's easy to judge somebody when you don't know somebody. It's easy to stand across the street and condemn them over there for not being and doing what you think they should be and do, but Jesus incarnated and went across the street, and he sat with them which means he shared a meal with them. He fellowshiped with them. But I grew up under a brand of Christianity where you didn't spend time with those people because you were too afraid they would contaminate you and bring you down. Now, there is some wisdom that must be applied because if you're going to kick it with some sinners, you need to know who you are in Christ because they can bring you down. But not only the sinners trying to bring you down, you got to be strong enough for that. But then you got to be strong enough to deal with the Pharisees that are standing across the street for talking about you for sitting down with the sinners. you got to deal with them, too, because they'll criticize you. You know that brother smoked weed, don't you? Yeah. You know, You know that man beats on his wife. Yeah. You know he was in jail, right? Yeah. What does that have to do with the fact that God loves him and that Jesus wants to forgive him? And if I sit down and recline with folk long enough, they'll see that I'm into them and not just into their soul. Because sometimes as Christians, we only evangelize because we're after the soul. We don't really care about the person. We only care about their soul. But how about sitting down with people, whether they pray a prayer of salvation or not? How about being friends with people, whether they come to your church or not? Because it may not happen overnight if it ever happens at all. But one thing's for sure, if I'm there, I'm going to plant a seed. I'm going to water a seed and it's up to God to give the increase, but I'm going to plant and I'm going to water while I'm there. And that doesn't mean every time I'm with him, I got to make every conversation be spiritual. We can laugh, we can talk, we can talk about the basketball game. I don't have to talk about, you know, Lonzo Ball's father. Yeah, you know, he's not a good father, but let me tell you about a good father named the Lord. No, you don't have to do that all the time. Just talk to him. Jesus had a way of sinning with sinners whereby he didn't condemn them and he didn't condone their behavior. But through love, he compelled them. He didn't condemn them because he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He didn't condone what they were doing, but somehow he compelled them by loving them. My, I, it, 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 that's why the Bible says the person that wins souls is wise Lord show me how on my job with all these executives I'm around their mouths are nasty we know what's going on they're immoral but Lord you put me to be light in the midst of darkness show me how Lord show me how well let me end on this point Matthew 9 11, and I'll come back next week It says, and when the Pharisees saw it, they they saw him sitting down. Now, 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 here's the question, though. The Pharisees were not invited to this party. But how do they know about the party? Because they got their ears to the ground, and they're suspicious, they're nosy, and one thing about Pharisees is Pharisees love to spy on other people as they exercise their freedom in Christ. Oh, I wish I had time to go. Ooh, boy. Pharisees spy. They saw Jesus sitting down with them people. They standing across the street watching all of them sinners go in and out of that house. And they just shaking their head. Mm, mm, mm. They saw what was going on. They were not invited, but they came to spy. And in the book of Galatians chapter 2, Paul said that there were some Pharisees who crept into the church. And one of the reasons they came in by stealth, they came under the radar, was to spy out our freedom in Christ, mainly that we didn't tell people they had to get circumcised, and we ate all the pork that we wanted to eat, and they just were spying on us. And this is where Jesus gets the reputation in Matthew chapter 11 of being a drunkard and a glutton. Here's where it comes from, because he's sitting with these people. And so the Pharisees said, look, here is a drunkard and a glutton. But in Matthew chapter 11, they not only had bad stuff to say about Jesus, the Pharisees had bad stuff to say about John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't eat or drink. What I mean by that is, as a Nazarite, he didn't drink wine, alcohol, and he didn't eat certain foods because he had a particular diet locusts and wild honey. So, so they said, mm, John doesn't eat or drink. Hmm. He has a demon. Jesus is coming eating and drinking. In other words, Jesus had wine and Jesus ate what was there, and they said, Oh, he's a drunkard and a glutton. Pharisees aren't pleased with anybody but themselves. And if you keep digging deeper, they're not even pleased with themselves because they can't find relief in themselves until they find peace with God. But they're so busy judging other people and Pharisees will not only spy on your freedom but they will also spread rumors to people about you that aren't true. They'll only tell what they want to say in the story. Because they don't know the whole story so later on they're going to speak to the disciples about jesus but they're not going to go and talk to jesus about jesus and what pharisees are going to do they're going to talk to people about you but they're too cowardly to come and talk to you about you because they know that you'll probably tell them the other side of the story which they don't want to hear but they went up to the disciples and so Pharisee, oh man, you know what? Here we go, here we go. Chris, make it quick, make it quick. Look at verse 12. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of of a physician, but those who are sick. So they go and talk to the disciple. Why are you teaching doing that stuff? And as they ask the question, they're trying to make a statement about the character of Jesus. Because if he was truly a good rabbi, he wouldn't be hanging around with those bad people. But Jesus knew his guys. They may have been strong enough to sit around some sinners with him, but they weren't yet ready to face some Pharisees. So Jesus stepped in and he said, let me talk to you for a minute since you're trying to talk to my boys. Because part of your tactic is to separate my men from me and bring them after you. But no, I'm going to catch that right now. And here's what I got to say to you. Those who are well have no need of a doctor. But those who are sick. And so what he's saying is, These sinners know that they're sick. I am a doctor, and I am here to heal sinners. That's why I came, not only to be a friend of sinners, but to save sinners from their sins. And you could be in this party if you only acknowledge, Pharisees, that you are sinners. But I came for those who need a doctor. Now I did a little bit of research today and uh, there's this dude named Hippocrates and he lived in the fifth century BC and he's been called the father of Western medicine. And this is where we get the Hippocratic Oath from. The Hippocratic Oath says that doctors will give this oath, I will use treatment to help the sick and do them no harm. So they would say a bunch of things, but ultimately doctors are here to serve, just like police officers are supposed to be here to serve, and many of them do serve. And so doctors are to take this oath, the Hippocratic Oath, to serve and to do people no harm, which is what you learn the medicine for to help hurting people. But if you don't help hurting people after you've taken the Hippocratic Oath, you're nothing but a hypocrite because you're not doing what you said you would do. And Jesus said, I know what I'm here to do. I'm here to help sick people. You guys are supposed to be the religious leaders of the community. You should be here to help sick people, but instead sick people feel condemned by you and judged by you. Your doctors, rather than offering help, you're harming people. And that's why Matthew couldn't talk to y'all and that's why I had to come and talk to him because he knew, he heard that I love sinful people. Shame on a pastor who won't get his robes dirty hanging out with sinners. Shame on a pastor that'll never leave the comfortable confines of a pulpit and hang out with people on the street and who are down and out. And shame on Christians who sit in churches but don't spend time getting dirty to help other folk get clean in the Lord. What good is that? What good is our faith? If we've been healed, we need to do what Matthew did. Let me go find sick people who need some healing. So Jesus says uh, in verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says, let me insult you boys for a minute. Y'all think y'all know the word. You know the word by letter, but you don't know it by spirit. He told him on another occasion, you study the scriptures and you think that in them you have eternal life, but you don't because these scriptures speak about me, but you have chosen to reject me and even want to kill me. Moses wrote about me, but you keep reading the word and you keep missing me. And so he says, go find out what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Y'all know the Bible. Y'all know where I'm coming from. He's coming from Hosea chapter 6 verse 6, where Hosea makes that statement that God desires mercy and not religious sacrifice. What's going on in the book of Hosea? Well, the prophet was single, and God says, I love the backslider. I love my people but they've committed spiritual adultery against me and they've turned to other gods and I got to get their attention and I'm going to get their attention by my love for them. So Hosea, this is what I want you to do. I need you to be an object lesson. Go and get you a wife. Oh great, I can't wait to go into church and find me a good, clean, wholesome girl. Yeah, yeah, the girl, good girl's at church. (laughs) No, you ain't going there. I need you to go down to the red light district and uh, I need you to get one of them women that's walking the street that Donna Summer used to sing about them bad girls. I need you to go grab one of them. Uh, Don't worry about the fishnet stockings. I need you to get one of them and marry one because I need for Israel to see how I love them in their unfaithfulness by looking at your marriage. So he marries this woman and then after she done gave him three kids, she went back out to hooking on the street again. And he had to go back out and get his wife cuz you know it was just a public talk of the town. Why did the preacher marry her anyway? You know she ain't going to do right. Then when she doesn't do right, I knew she wasn't going to do right. Then he goes out there and gets her again. What well, he so stupid going after her. Israel get the message. Y'all keep going to the temple, offering God these sacrifices he don't want. He wants your heart, and you keep missing the message. He desires mercy because Hosea had mercy on Gomer, just like God has mercy on Israel and on the church. Because mercy triumphs over judgment, love compels. And so Jesus says the God who created the sacrificial system, he loves it when it's offered to him in a right heart, but he can't stand it, Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, when you bring to him your songs and your feasts. Oh, it makes him sick because it is not connected to a heart that loves God and that shows up in being compassionate to other sinners. Keep your worship. Keep your sacrificial animal. I don't want to love somebody. This is the fasting that I require, that you do the right thing towards the poor and the widows and the needy. Jesus said, go find out what that means. Then come back and holler at me. I'm here doing the heart of God. I'm reaching out to sinful people who need to know about the mercy and the compassion of God. They don't need to hear a preacher putting them down. They already know they're down. And this is why Jesus said the sinners could hear his call. He said, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. They could hear the call. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 21 that the sinners, the prostitutes, and the harlots, uh, uh, and the tax collectors are getting into the kingdom ahead of the Pharisees. Because they hear the call. They hear the call of Jesus. And he said, there's coming a day in John 5 when those who are in the graves will hear my voice and they will come alive. When you're in your spiritual grave and you hear the love of God saying, Chris, follow me. Chris, come to me. You get up. The sinners got up. But the Pharisees stayed calloused, thinking they're alive, but they're really dead. There's this thing called a dog whistle. Dog whistle was created in the 1800s, and it emits sound in the ultrasonic range, which people cannot hear, but dogs and cats and other animals can hear it. You see, the maximum range of human hearing is about 20 kilohertz for children, meaning that when you're born, your hearing is at its best But as you get older, your hearing goes down to about 15 to 17, and probably, in my case, about 3 to 5 kilohertz. People who can't hear well talk loud, me and Randall. Randall loud, just like me. So you're born at 20, but you go down to 15 to 17 under healthy circumstances. Well, the top end of a dog's hearing is 45 kilohertz. So a dog's hearing is heightened and a cat is even more than a dog, up to 60. So to human ears, a dog whistle makes only a hissing sound. But for a dog, it disturbs them, it irks them, and it gets their full attention because their ears can pick up the sound. So when Jesus came and he whistled for sinners. When he called for sinners, the Pharisees couldn't hear him, but the dogs of society could hear him. And they came to him, making true what George Clinton said, atomic dog. Why must I feel like that? Why why, why, why must I chase the cat? And he said, "Uh, there's nothing but the dog. In me. Why must I feel like that? Why must I chase the cat? It's nothing but the dog in me. But wait a minute, I hear Jesus calling. I hear a sound. And he said, I love you. I'll forgive you. I'll change your life. Come to me. And the dogs go to him. And he transforms those dogs. And he takes the same letters of the dog in me and he inverts the D and the G. And now I'm saying like Mary. Mary, I can say it's nothing but the God in me because he fills me with his spirit. No, I'm not perfect. I have a wretched condition still. I still got a little bow wow up in me. But because God is in me, he can silence the dog that's in me, but I can still hear when my master calls. So I got this still messed up condition, but I got this blessed position. You see, I might be wretched in my condition. Yeah, I still have some Pharisee tendencies. Yeah, I can still trip out. If you hit me wrong, man, while well, I was driving down the street the other day, and this dude was in, coming right at me. And I'm trying to go left, And he's trying to go straight. We're in one of them turning lanes. And I'm like, I'm not moving, dog. I'm not moving. So he goes around me, and he gives me one of them looks. And I'm like, I'm turning left. But you still have more room than me. You should have gotten to that lane later. I'm going through all that in my mind. And and right there in a moment, I said, I should turn around and follow that dude right now. You don't look at me like that. And the Holy Ghost had to say, Chris, bring it down. And I had to repent as I made my left hand, Lord, I'm sorry. And it happened so quick. Riding down the street yesterday, I was coming from Atlanta. You know it's fine women in Atlanta. I just came from a funeral. And I was speaking at the funeral. And I'm in my car heading back home. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to serve at this funeral. Let's head on back. And there was this beautiful woman off to the side of the road. And the dog in me, said, mmm. and the Holy Ghost said, Chris. And then I said, yeah, don't look over there because somebody from the funeral may be riding behind you. And they just saw you up in the church talking about you. Come on, that's accountability. Don't look over there because I'm a brand new creator. Yeah, I got this condition, but my position is greater than my condition. I am forgiven even though I still deal with this wretchedness. But above all, above all, take this home with you. When I hear the master speak, I respond. Because he not only calls sinners out of sin to save their soul, he calls sinners who are saved every day. He says, Chris, your tone wasn't right. Chris, you need to forgive. And, the, and, and I can hear my master call. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Because I still acknowledge, although I'm well, I'm still sick. I haven't arrived. But when I think I've arrived and I think I'm not sick, Jesus, the Bible says, he gives grace to the humble, but the proud, he knows from afar. The medicine can't help me until I repent. Strong Tower, I'd rather be sick than well because being sick means that God has a patient that he's working on. But when I walk around acting like I ain't sick, the Lord can't help me. Admit your sicknesses. Let's stand for prayer. Brother Randall, come close us out. My God. Nothing but the God in me, the God.